Okay, so let's begin. This is the, uh, we're not going to begin any formal learning today, really. Okay. It's, this is just like an uh, introductory, like, overview. So you get an idea of what it's all about and uh, what we hope to accomplish and, and a little bit how we hope to accomplish mm -hmm. it, all right? More of that will come out as we would go along. Um, and there is a, um, a, a great need in the world today um, that many, many people are coming around and realizing that wasn't realized for a long time. And that is uh, a need to address um, some type of a program to get people savvy in Gemara skills if for whatever reason they missed out on them. It could be that they're about you and a late starter. It could be because they went through yeshiva system and they never picked it up. Or for whatever reason is, um, but there's many, many people, many, many, in all circles, even in yeshivas, that um, are missing the basic skills we have been able to learn, even higher up. And... Um, for a while, because this is a, a new and developing type thing right now, and for a while, um, people thought that wanted to come in and start learning Gemara, so they thought that the, uh, the answer to the prayer was Dafyomi, an art scroll, and, um, you know, and, and these are, are, are uh, tried paths that have been, people have taken for a long time already. And um, people are starting to realize that um, maybe there is something a little bit better and a little bit higher that you know you could strive for if it's out there and available, uh, so that you can gain your own independent skills for learning. Okay. Um, now we'll talk about why, um, let's say, using the art school, for example, is not the ultimate, in other words, that there's beyond that, and why it doesn't work if somebody wants to uh, achieve independent skills, okay? Um, one of the reasons why Dafyomi became so popular is because, especially by people that started late, or people that have very little time to learn, and Shas is Yama Talmud, it's the sea of the Talmud, so it's very, very big and, and, and wide. And how do you cover so much? And how do you get into that? And how do you develop your knowledge in, in Gemara? So um, they went to Dap Yomi and they felt that perhaps um, if, um, if they would do that after a while, then they would be able, that would take care of all the things that they would be looking for. So I'll just tell you a little story. In this folder here uh, at, the, at the end is a little letter that's printed out that someone sent me once. And he gave me permission. He said I should share it with people. This person's name is Stephen Hill. I don't know if you ever heard of him. He used to be an actor, a famous actor. Um, and he became a Balchuva many years ago. Many years ago he became a Balchuva, but he always stayed in the acting field. Okay? Stephen Hill, uh, Shlomo Hill, after he became a, a, a Balchuva, shortly afterwards he got into Dafyomi. Got into Dafyomi. And he happens to be a very, very diligent, you know, when he takes something on, he does it with the way you're supposed to do it, you know, with his full koyach and strength. So uh, when he started to learn Dafyomi, in those days, they didn't have art school yet. 
they had something called Sansino. Mm-hmm. You ever see those sure. Sansino? Yeah, I have a couple. They were really, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it was very, very difficult to try and match up one side to the other, and it was with the King's English. Mm-hmm. It was very, very difficult to build skills from that for sure. But that's how he began. Then the art school came and he switched over to art school. So he learned, to make a long story short, he learned the entire Shas, three cycles. At that time. We're going back. And three cycles, 22 and a half years. He figured, after 22 and a half years of learning Gemara diligently, I know how to learn, right? So he sat down to learn with the Chavrus. Instead of the Dafyomi, he wanted to now sit down, take some of the Masechters that he was learning, and go through them. Masechta Brachas, Masechta Makis, whatever it was. Sat down with his Chavrusa, could not get through one line of Gemara. And he became very, very broken from it. Discouraged. Okay? So, what happened was that um, he came out to Los Angeles with his wife uh, to get some award. Maybe Academy Awards or whatever awards it was. But he came to get some award. They put him up in a fancy hotel on the 17th floor and Shabbos was coming. Okay? No way is he going to be stuck on the 17th floor for Shabbos. So somehow uh, it was con- we got to connect, and he spent Shabbos with us. Him and his wife came to our house on Shabbos. We had, we knew that my wife knew the family or her family from back. So I guess that was the connect. Anyway, we got to talking on Shabbos, and he started to pour out his heart, and that's how I got to know about all this. And I said, you know something, uh, I think I have something that maybe I could help you with, you know, with skills, and there's a certain method developed, and maybe you would like to give it a try. So he, um, he took it on. So uh, this was Shabbos, so Sunday morning. I showed him a little bit how to do it. For the next two years, we learned over the phone three times a week. He's Muncie, I was here. And uh, this letter was written after we were done, after the two years, when he already started to complete Masechtas with his Chavrusa, without the art scroll, sitting on his own. And, uh, and he finished, he told me, uh, a couple times, and Makas, he made a seal, and, and how it changed his whole life. And he wasn't a young person, okay, when he started out with this. He wasn't a young person at all. But he was very devoted and very, very goal-oriented. And uh, this is just one example. And he told me that I should really share it with people. Uh, by nature, I happen to be a, a very non you might call PR, or in other words, when I sit in the show, I always take the back seat. Very unassuming. I don't like to be up in the front at all. So, uh, but people like him uh, have been pushing, and other people, and they say that this is something that, I mean, I've seen myself how many people it has changed, okay? And um, it doesn't just change the learning, it's, it's a life-changing thing, okay? And um, therefore, they, they said, you know, you, you have to put your... Your, your personality aside a little bit, you know, you're liking to sit in the, and you have to do it. So, um, you know, I started to really push a little bit um, to try and, and, and get it out to as many people as possible that might want to avail themselves. And I happen to know that there's a lot of people out there that are looking for something like this. Um, so, basically, by way of introduction, I just want to begin by saying that... Uh, in order for a person to be good at learning Gemara, okay? Now, uh, I'm going to mention Gemara because we're going to be learning Gemara, Mitzvah. 
but the skills that we learn here are very transferable. You can take them to Chumash, you can take them to Novi, you can take them to Mishnayis, you can take it to any, anything. All the skills are really the same. But I'm going to mention Gemara only because we're learning it by Gemara, but you can take it anywhere you want, okay? Um, and one more thing I just want to mention also by way of introduction, and that is that some of the things that I'm about to tell you might seem surprisingly very, very, very obvious. Okay? And it might even be that when you hear some of them, you're going to start to think, like, why is he telling me that? I know that already. And uh, in order to explain that and understand it better, uh, there's a certain safer, it's a Musra safer called Mesila Sishor. Anybody ever learn Mesila Sishor or look at it? Yeah. Yeah, so in, the ver- in his introduction to that book, so the Masil Sashorim starts to, to write over there what, it is, what his reason is for writing his book. You ever look at it? Mm-hmm. So what does he say right away in the beginning? He says, everything that I write in my book, he said, people know already. They know this already. I'm not here to tell them any Chiddush or something new. It's all stuff that they know already, right? Now, you know, the Masil Sashorim, when he wrote that work, was a long time ago. People were on a higher level. I mean, we learn Masil Shashom today. There's plenty of new stuff on every single page, right? But that, you know, I don't just think he was just being exceedingly humble. In those times, you know, maybe a lot of the stuff was obvious to people. So if you're writing a, a work like Masil Shashom and it's, everything in there is so obvious, so you have to explain why you're writing the book for it, why you're doing it for it. So, obvious. so he says like this. He says that, the nature of a human being, the mind of a human being, likes to probe into new things always. So he said that uh, the tendency of a person is to take things that are rather simple and push it to the back of his mind. Okay? So he said that there are certain things that are very, very important, but they're obvious, and they push from the back of the mind. I'm just here to take it from the back and pull it to the front. Because these are things that you should be thinking about, even if they're simple. Okay? So, uh, in, 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 we're not learning Musa now, we're going to talk about Gemara skills, but the same idea, some of these things might sound pretty obvious to you, mm-hmm. but uh, there are things that you have to be aware of when you're trying to build up your learning skills, okay? So, in order for a person to be good at learning Gemara, there's three basic skills you have to be able to be good at. One is that you have to be able to read the words, okay? Because there's no vowels here, so you have to be able to read the words properly. The second one is that you have to be able to translate the words, okay? And the third thing is that you have to be able to comprehend the words. So we're talking about really two skills that are three. Reading and translating is really one skill. It's called syntax, right? And the second skill is comprehension. So it's reading and comprehension, right? So reading and comprehension, um, the, uh, the two skills of, of, of reading, translating, and comprehension... Uh, some people think that uh, if you know how to read and translate these words perfectly, let's say, without a mistake, let's say somebody's very savvy in the Aramaic language or the Hebrew language or whatever it is, and they can translate these words perfectly, they think that they automatically can figure out the comprehension of what the words are saying. Is that true or false? How do you know? Bring a proof. You're right, but, but bring a proof. Because all the words, first of all, there's no punctuation, right? And then also, there, so you don't know if the man bit the dog or the dog bit the man, right? If it's man, dog, bite. And then also, a lot of the words are coded to, to construct the arguments. So if you don't understand, like, 
all the back and forth and how what this word implies this kind of logic. Okay. Right. Um, but let's say you know all that also. Okay. What even beyond that? In other words, you're right, there's no punctuation. But let's say you're savvy enough that you can go through it without the, uh, you know, you know where to punctuate and, and, and you know the style and stuff like that. So does that mean, that, so you can retranslate and you know more or less the style. So would you, can you automatically understand what the Gemara is saying? Can you comprehend it just from that alone? So the answer is no. What's the proof? All the commentaries. Yeah. <laughs> so what's Rashi doing there? What's Tosa's doing there? I mean, I'm reading the Gemara. If everything is in the Gemara, when I, when I pick up a, a, a science book to read, there's not a Rashi and a Tosa's on it. And, and you can read it, you can comprehend it more or less. The comprehension is built into the words. Okay? But over here, you have Rashi explaining, you have Tosa explaining, you have commentaries, you can go and look at all the bookshelves over here. And this is a small library compared to the bigger libraries. Tons and tons. And in the back of the Gemara, why all that commentary? So the answer is because the way that Gemara is written is very, very cryptic. Very, very short. All right? Succinct. And Mishnayis is even shorter than Gemara. We know that the, the Gemara is made up of two things. There's the Mishnah and the Gemara, right? Yeah. The Mishnah was written by someone called Rabbi Huda Nasi. Okay? Um, he wrote the Mishnayis. He wrote them very, very, very cryptic. And then the Gemara elaborates on the Mishnah. That was added later. That was written later. The explanation was written down. And then, of course, you have the commentaries of Rashi and Tosas and the and Rishonim and Achronim and so on and so forth. So, um, a lot of times, let's just stick to Mishnah with Gemara. So, so, I'm sure everybody here has learned at least something with a Mishnah and with a Gemara, right? Maybe you've seen that when you have a Mishnah saying something, and it's, it is cryptic. So the Gemara will question it and try and figure it out and say, well, this is what the Mishnah is saying. So you think to yourself, that's what the Mishnah is saying? If that's what the Mishnah is saying, why did they say it? Right? Why, is it, why are we playing this game? I mean, why, why do you have to go figure it out and this and that? If the Mishnah meant it, say it. And if it didn't say it, how do you know that it means that? Right? Mm-hmm. So there's a reason behind it. There's a reason behind it. The reason is a fascinating reason. The reason it is what it is is because when HaKadosh Baruch Hu originally gave the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu, he gave the Torah Shabbat Peh, and he gave the Torah Shabbat Sav. He gave the written law and the oral law. The written is the Chumash. Okay? The oral is uh, all the explanation, which is the Gemara. Okay? The second part, which is Torah Shabbat Peh, which is Gemara, what does Torah Shabbat Peh mean? Torah Shabbat Peh. What does Baal Peh mean? Oral. So what does it mean oral? It's written, doesn't look oral. Because originally, how was the oral law transmitted from, from a Rebbe, from teacher to student? Orally, right? It says in Pirkei Ovis, have you ever learned at the beginning of Pirkei Ovis? Moshe Kibal Torah Misinai Masorah Lishua Shua Skenim Skenim That is going all the way back to the beginning and tracing from the very beginning the Masorah, how it started. Moshe Rabbeinu got it from Hashem and our Sinai and was given to Yeshua, Yeshua, Skin, Skin, and so on. So that's how it was passed down from the generations, orally. Not only was it passed down orally, you weren't allowed to write it down. You weren't allowed to write it down. So why is it written down? Let's say the Mishnayis was written first. So the answer is because people started to forget. Okay? When people started to forget, so there was a danger the Torah might be forgotten from Klal Yisrael. So Rabbi Yehuda Hanossi 
was the leader of the generation, and he had the awesome task and made the awesome decision that he's going to start writing down something. Because otherwise, Torah Shabbat, we're just going to forget. Right? Now, when he first wrote it down, so uh, I always like to say um, that, you know, if you would have seen his hand when it wrote down the first Mishnah, I'm sure it was shaking. Because Torah Shabbat, and this is how it was done for Moshe Rabbein, you don't change, you don't tamper. And here he's writing it down. So he wrote it down. But when he first wrote it down, how did he write it down? He wrote it down only what was absolutely necessary to write down. Because it's still Torah Shabbat. So in other words, it was almost like notes on the Torah Shabbat. That's why it's written so cryptic. Because in those times when he wrote it down, you didn't need more than that. Just a reminder of what's going on. So he wrote it down like that, right? After a while, people started to rely on the written word of the Mishnah. They didn't remember what was behind the Mishnah. So it wasn't enough. So they had to write the Gemara, which is the explanation of the Mishnah. Right? But even when they wrote the Gemara, it's also cryptic. It looks long, and it is long, and it takes seven and a half years to learn Shas. But, but it's still very cryptic, these, these passages. That's why you have to have Rashi explaining, and Tosas explaining, and so forth. But that's the history of Torah Shabal Pet. Now if you take a look at the generation we live in, where are we holding today? We're holding by heart scroll. I think if Rabbi Yudan Nasi would have seen an art school, like he would have fainted off his chair. Because that's not probably what he envisioned. He <laughs> hoped way before that happened that Mashiach would be here already. See, what makes people forget Torah? Two things. Time and dispersion. If you have all of the best minds of Klal Yisrael, the teachers, all in one place, so the scholarship is, is shared, and it's like almost, it's, it's, it's um, contained and perpetuated that way. Okay. What happened is, when the Beis HaMikdash was and we started to get dispersed all over the place, our, our ranks were spread thin. So our scholarship was spread thin also. So that started to cause people to forget a lot. Um, so that's what the generation is holding today. Um, the, um, so going back to the skills that we mentioned, about the skills about reading, translating, and... Uh, comprehension, okay? Um, let me ask you a question. I ask this to everybody. Uh, we'll make it two skills. The, reading, the syntax, which is reading and translating, and comprehension. Which one do you think is the more important of those two skills? And why? If you have to pick, you need it both. You cannot learn a piece of Gemara without reading, translating, and explaining. But if you'd have to just pick one over the other, which one do you think is the more important skill? Can you guess the comprehension without being able to read? Um, well, don't go into that so much. Well, okay, but, but I'm saying, you, I, again, you need both skills. But which is the more important skill? You need them both. But which is the more important one? Comprehension. Okay, you agree to that too? Yeah, I just said I agree. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I can probably say reading and translating. Okay, okay. Why do you think comprehension? It gives you a context for it. It tells you what it's saying. Otherwise, you can just translate something if you don't know what it means. It's okay. Okay. Completely wrong. Is that what you want to say too? Yeah, I'll stick with that. Okay. <laughs> and why do you think reading and I think it's just it's the base level skill that everything else is built on. You have to be able to know what words mean and what they don't mean and what they okay. imply. Okay. Okay. I hear exactly what you're saying. That's good. <clears throat> the answer to the question really is that the more important skill is the comprehension skill but I'll tell you why. The reason why is because 
How many um, mitzvot are there in the Torah altogether? 613. Is that a lot or a little? A lot. That's a lot. The non-Jews have Sheva mitzvahs b'nei Noah, which they can't even keep. We have 613 mitzvahs, okay? Even though today we cannot keep all 613, the Chofetz Chaim wrote a, uh, a sefer, it's called Sefer Mitzah Kotzer. He went through all 613 and he put into a book the ones that we could do today and there's a lot to keep us busy, okay? Can't do them all, but we can do a lot of them still. So there's 613 mitzvahs altogether. What's the translation, the exact translation of mitzvah? We always say that word. What does mitzvah mean? Commandment. It's a command. Who's the commander? Kashem. Kashem. So it's 613, 613 commands from Hashem. That's what the mitzvahs are. Um, every single command or commandment from Hashem has like rules and regulations that go along with it. For example, one of the 613 mitzvahs is putting on tefillin. Right? So there was once this guy comes into a base madrish, goes up to somebody, says, do you have a pair of tefillin? He says, yeah. Why? He says, can I borrow them? I want to put them on. He says, sure. And the guy told him, you know, I never put on tefillin in my life. This is the first time. So he got all excited. The guy that was giving it to him says, you want me to help you? No. He says, you don't have to help me. He says, why? Did you watch people? I never saw anybody do it. But just, stay, I'm, I want you to do it, stand aside, I know exactly what to do. Fine. He hopes that he's not going to throw him on the floor or something like that. So he takes the tefillin out of the bag, takes the hand tefillin, puts him over here. Takes the head tefillin, puts him over here. So the guy's going, no, 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 that's not the way to do it, right? So uh, he's telling him no. So he says, what do you mean no? You know how I know? I read it myself. It says in the posuk, you should put him on your hand. Here's my hand. And it says, between your eyes. This is between my eyes. So what are you telling me? No. So the answer is, of course, that's the language of the Pesach is to put it on your hand between your eyes. However, through Torah Shabbat, we learn out that hand means here. All right? And between your eyes means here. Okay? It's also between your eyes. And there's ways that we learn out how it is that way. Okay? So when I say rules and regulations, you can't just go by... Put it on your hand and between your eyes. It has its rules and regulations as well. Okay. Now, the mitzvah of learning Torah. And by the way, the mitzvah of learning Torah is one of the 613, right? But it's a very, very heavy mitzvah. How do we know that it's a heavy mitzvah? Because we say in davening every day, Talmud Torah keneged kulam. What's the translation? Talmud, the learning of Torah. Keneged is opposite all of them. What does it mean that the learning of Torah, the mitzvah of learning Torah is opposite? What does the word opposite mean? So when two people are having a fight, they're opposite each other. So does that mean that the, what we're saying over there is that the, the mitzvah of learning Torah is against all the other mitzvahs? So, but there's a, a Hebrew word for, for equal. It's called shove. That, that little snippet comes from a Mishnah. The one that wrote the Mishnah is Rabbi Nasi. He picked every word by hand. So if there'd be a better word to use... He would have put in a better word. He used the word keneged. Keneged means opposite. Right? Shova means equal. Keneged means opposite. So he's saying the learning of Torah is opposite all the other mitzvahs. So why did he choose the word opposite? So the answer is because it's like you said, but why did he choose the word opposite? Because, you know, uh, if you're... Yeah, good, good. Around Rosh Hashanah time, you know, those old scales, those old-fashioned scales, you put your mitzvahs on one side and Averas on the other side. Remember? Like this. Uh-huh. 
So if you take 612 mitzvahs and put it on this side, you take the mitzvah of learning Torah and put it on this side, Talmud Torah is keneged kulam. It just means that they're opposite each other. So the Mishnah is weighing something for us. And that's telling me the weight of the mitzvah of Talmud Torah. That's why you'll notice that if a person has a limited time during the day to do mitzvahs, or even if he's sitting in a yeshiva and he has a lot of time to do mitzvahs every day, but they're mainly preoccupied with the mitzvah of learning Torah. Because that's the weightiest mitzvah of all the mitzvahs. Okay, the Rambam says that if you're learning Torah and a mitzvah comes to your hand, so the Rambam says, get somebody else to do it. <laughs> get somebody else to do it. If you can't, do it yourself. Right? But as soon as you're done, go right back to your learning. So Torah is not, learning Torah is not a means to something. It's, it's, it's an end in itself, the mitzvah learning Torah, and it's a very weighty mitzvah. I always like to say over the story that I saw with my own eyes when I was still before, uh, a bocher, when, before I got married, I was learning in Eretz Yisrael, in the Mir Yeshiva, in those days. And um, at that time, the, um, my, uh, in the room where I slept in the yeshiva, there was three people. And one of the people that slept in the room with me, his name was Gedalia Finkel, and his brother was Rav Nosson Tzvi Finkel. Okay? There was two boys in the family, <coughs> Gedalia and, and Nosson Tzvi. And Nosson Tzvi was the older brother, but he, was, he wasn't the Roshiva at that time. He came later on. He was just a young person, just married, you know. And he was making a bris. And he used to come in all, every day to speak to his brothers, so he got very friendly. Okay. So he was making a bris. So he invited me to the bris. Fine. The bris, he wanted the, the, the stipler to be the sandik. You heard of the stipler, okay? Yes. Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky's father, stipler. So he wanted him to be the sandik. So if you want the stipler to be the sandik, he usually agreed to be the sandik, but he's not going to come to Yushalayim. You have to take the baby to Bnei Brak, where the stipler is. So he went, he took the baby to Bnei Brak, and everybody who wanted to go to the bris went there. So I went to Bnei Brak. It's the only time I ever saw the stipler in person. He came in, and he was the sandik by the bris, and we finished the bris. Now, you know, whenever a bris finishes, people are mulling around, they're getting ready for the suda, and you know, a lot of... So the stipler, after he was finished being sandik, so he started slowly walking towards the door. And he didn't have any shamoshim, he didn't have any people, you know, going to accompany him or by himself. So he's going towards the door all by himself. And then he walked out the door. So I was curious just to see where he's going. So I opened the door and watched. And that's what I'm trying to tell. That sight that I saw, I could never forget. He was, he lived on the same street as the shul. He was running like a child. He was already an older man already. Running like a kid back to his house so he could be able to go back and, and, and continue his learning. And, and that's because of that Rambam. The Rambam says, listen, if a mitzvah is baliyotcha, like being sandik, someone wants you to be sandik, you take the mitzvah and you do it. But as soon as you're done, you run back to, to your learning. He actually was running back to his learning. So, you know, it says, It's greater to serve a tamachachim than to learn from a tamachachim. Why? Because if you serve a tamachachim, it's, it's called audiovisual. You can read that Rambam from today to tomorrow, but one picture of the stipler running home to do that is, 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 is worth more than, than chazering that over a thousand times. Okay. So, that, but what my point is, though, that the mitzvah of learning Torah is a very weighty mitzvah, okay? And it also has its rules and regulations, just like putting on tefillin. Okay? So when Hashem commanded us to learn Torah, 
What did he want us to do? Did he want us to translate words? Or did he want us to try and comprehend the Torah as best as possible? That's why it's the more important skill. Because that's what we're trying to accomplish. Because that's the essence of the mitzvah. To try and comprehend as best as we can what we learn. Okay? So the question is, if comprehension is everything, then where does reading and translating come in? And the answer is that if you can't read it and translate it, you can't get to the comprehension. Right? Like you have a very, very nice treasure that's in a room, it's, and the door is locked. If you have the key, and the key is nothing, it takes $1.89 to make a copy of a key. But if you don't have the key, you can't get to the $3 billion treasure. So you need the key to get in. So you need to be able to read and translate in order to unlock the comprehension. Okay? So, this reading and translating, okay, is, 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 is a problem. It's a problem. This is written in a language that we don't speak. Gemara is written in Aramaic, and Mishnah is written in Hebrew. They're two different languages, right? And by the way, uh, somebody even in Israel, I've learned with people from Israel that don't know English, but they know perfect Hebrew. They can read Mishnayis like you read the newspaper. They might not comprehend everything 100%, but they could read it, you know, perfectly and translate it. But when it comes to Gemara, you would think that they could also uh, read it and translate it. They, you have to sit down with them and translate all the words like you would with any American hmm. learning Gemara. They cannot fathom, the, the, even the ones that are close, which is a surprise, they don't know. So, hmm. so the Aramaic is, is a problem for everybody. And Hebrew is a little bit easier for them, but for somebody who's not doesn't speak Hebrew, it's difficult, the Aramaic, right? I mean the Hebrew. So, how do you, how do you get to take care of that skill called reading and translating? So, that's where, you know, things like art school were created in order to take care of that, right? But if that's what it was to take care of that skill, why is it that somebody like Shlomo Hill could learn 22, 22 and a half years and be diligent, right? And sit down with his learning partner and not be able to get through one line. And the answer to that is that you can never, ever, ever pick up skills through an art school. You could pick up comprehension very nicely, but you can't pick up skills. Why? They do translate the words, right? But if you'll notice, what they do is they'll take five, six words at a time, and they will English-size them right away. So, they, they don't, so what they're really doing is they're just telling you the comprehension of those words, but they're not teaching you the translation of those words, right? Yeah. Hebrew and Aramaic have the same structure of grammar, totally different than English. For example, in English you say, blue sky. In Hebrew and Aramaic you say, sky blue. Just one small difference. So many other differences, right? But when they'll translate it, they'll translate it, they'll take the whole phrase and they'll say, blue sky. So they're not teaching you how to read. So what happens if you have the word blue by itself? Or if you have the word sky by itself, you never really, you just know what that phrase is supposed to be saying, so you can go over that phrase, but you were never taught to read. Now you remember when you were in the first grade, and you started to learn how to read? So how did, how did they teach you reading and comprehension? You read, and how did you comprehend? You comprehended but from reading, and you comprehend from what you read. Right? You didn't, you didn't read from your comprehension. You comprehended from what you read. You understand? If you want to be savvy in learning how to learn Gomorrah, you have to be able to do the same thing. You have to be able to take the, comp the comprehension from the reading. What most people do is they compensate 
and they know what it's supposed to be saying, so therefore I know these words are supposed to be, so they'll just read the whole line. They don't have a clue what each word is saying, but they know more or less that that line is supposed to be saying that. So they read it, and they explain it, and, and, and they're trying to make a shidduch between the words and the comprehension, but they don't really understand. And if you're daring enough to turn the page at something that they never saw in their life, or just take their hand and move it over to a Tosis or to a Rashi, completely cannot do it. Because they never worked on this skill. Okay? So uh, that's why you, you can't take an art school and teach yourself independent skills. Listen, you know, if somebody is 89 years old and he never learned in his life, it's certainly better than nothing. I'm not discouraging anybody to do that. Okay? However, uh, if a person wants to teach himself to be able to be independent in learning, that's not the way to go. Okay. So, it's easy to say, you know, that's not the way to go. But you have to say, what is the way to go? It's easy to always, to puzzle something, to invalidate something. But you have to have an alternative, right? So, the question is like this. If that's not the way to go, and it's proven that it doesn't work, so what is the way to go? So, what is the way to go? So, how does a person learn skills? of reading and translating and do it the right way. How can a person do, uh, do that? What do you say? Rabbi Morgan, Rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> Most people answer that there's only one way. You have to study. Right? You have yeah. to study. Yeah, so I always tell them, um, when I was a kid, I used to be very good at spelling. And we had something called a spelling bee sure. once. You know what spelling bee is. They make the, the classes divide up into teams, and they ask you the words, and if you know the word, then you get, you get to stay standing up. If not, you sit down till the, f- the final person is left up. Press elimination. Okay. So I was in this spelling bee, and there was three people left, me and two other people. Okay. So, you know, they always save the, the hard words that don't even sound like English. They save them until the end, Right. So here I am, I'm shaking, and they're going to ask me a word. And I figure, what are, what are they going to ask me already? So the person tells me, okay, spell the word handkerchief. I was thrilled. Handkerchief? And there's only three of us left, and that's the word you want me to spell? So I spelled the word, and they said, spell it again. So I spelled it again, and they said, sit down. And I studied words, and I knew words, and I'm thinking to myself, now where did I go wrong? So I spelled it H-A-N-K-E-R-C-H-I-E-F. It's H-A-N-D, but you don't pronounce it. It's handkerchief, not handkerchief. And I left out the D. I must have seen that word so many times, so, and I must have studied it too. But what I'm trying to tell you is, if you reinforce the wrong thing a hundred times, it's going to come out wrong, and it's going to make you sit down. You understand? Yeah. So just studying is not the answer. You have to have a, a, a plan, and you have to have a plan that works. Okay, that's the only way you could do it. So, how do you know if if, if a plan works or not? If it's tested over a, a num- number of people over a number of years, and it seems to work, then you know that it's a good plan, right? So, this particular plan that we use uh, has been tested more than twenty-five years over hundreds and hundreds of people, and every single person is successful. The only ones that are not successful are the ones that don't follow the plan. They don't follow it, therefore they're not successful, right? You go to the doctor, say, I don't feel good, gives you a medicine, come back the next day, doc, I still don't feel good. 
Did you take the medicine? No. He said, I gave you medicine. Follow the plan. You'll feel better. So the plan works for any person, okay? And it even amazes me, the spectrum of people that I've seen and worked with over the years, anything from uh, learning disabled, um, selective mutism, you know what that means? That somebody doesn't talk. I once learned with somebody that selective mutism. He wouldn't talk to me, so we communicated through writing. Very intelligent, but we didn't. But we used the same plan. That's one end of the spectrum. Spectrum to people that are so geniusy they can't sit in a class properly, and every single person in the middle. So it works by a hundred percent of everybody. Okay. Um, but again, uh, that's what I want to impress upon you. It works, but you have to follow the plan. Now, one thing I have to tell you, if you're starting this plan when you're in the fifth grade, which is when they start Gemara and Yeshiva, a kid who's, a, who's 10 years old or 9 years old, he doesn't know from comprehension and skills and reading like that. So what are you giving me? does it, right? So he'll do the words and he'll do this if, you know, if, if they work with him that way. If they don't, they don't. But if they do, he'll do it. When you get older and your mind is developed already, it's very hard to sit down and to start learning skills of reading and translating. And it's a very humbling experience, okay? Very humbling experience. Because every person thinks more or less, and they're right, that they're pretty intelligent people, they're functioning well. And all of a sudden they start doing this, and they say, you know, they start breaking their teeth in the beginning a little bit, then they don't know the translation words, and you have to review it in a certain way. So it is a very humbling thing. So if a person, though, is, is goal-oriented, that's what we started out with today, the goal is to get every single person savvy in the page of Gemara, which means to be able to read the Gemara properly and, and with the skills necessary, the Rashi and the Tosfus. Okay? Once you can read Gemara, Rashi, Tosfus, and you're comfortable with it, you can go any place. You can do any of the commentaries. You can do anything you want. Okay? So uh, this plan is like a, a layered structure plan. It starts at just with Gemara, okay? And eventually it goes into the Rashi and it culminates with Tosfus and it never moves on to the next one or the next higher till everybody's ready. Well, how do you know when you're ready? Right? So, uh, again, I, I always draw on my past. I remember when I was a kid, I used to sit next to my father and he was driving a stick shift car. You know what a stick shift car is? Yep. You ever, you're not a driver one, or you ever drove in one? Nope. They were really, they, there was three pedals instead of two, and there was something uh, uh, called a clutch. Or, or no, the clutch was a pedal. There was a, a, a shifter, whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. So everything was done, you know, manually. So the, the thing is like this, you know, I, I, my father would be talking to me, and he'd be moving all his hands around his feet, and I always think to myself, like, doesn't he have to concentrate on his driving? Like, how does he know? Because the way that it works is, when you get to a certain point, you've got to shift into the next gear in order to be able to go further. So how can he do it? Not, and he's talking, and I'm thinking, the answer is, it's, it's what you call in English a gefil. It's a feeling. It's a Yiddish word. But it's a feeling. He had a feeling. So you know automatically when it's time to shift into the next gear. So it's the same thing with this. It's a feeling. So we know already when, so we don't move on to the next one until everybody is comfortable with doing so. Same thing with Tosis, okay? And, um, but uh, that's really how it is, okay? And um, so we work on the, on the skills of reading, translating, and comprehension in a certain method. 
Okay? And if you follow that method and you just go through it enough, um, then you're able to uh, imbibe it and do it on your own. And uh, the, the truth of the matter is, the, the, the upside is that all of Shas, all of Shas from beginning to end is the same structure. It's all structured the same. The, the content is always different, but the structure is always the same. So if you go through it enough times and you know how Gemara works, right, and when to kick in a Rashi and when to kick in a Tosis and how the Gemara itself works and how it teaches people, you, it's, you're not going to find any different any page that you turn to. Again, the information will be different, but structure is always the same. So if you do that systematically, slowly, 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 and then after a certain amount of time you just get used to it and you're able to do it on your own. Okay? Okay. So, I've told you almost everything except one thing, which is... What are we actually going to do? The plan. <laughs> I didn't tell you the plan. I told you about the plan. Okay, so that I'm going to tell you next time, Mr. Shem, okay? Um, are there any questions, though, on this that we said today? No. Does it sound something you could do? Okay. Yeah, I, I've, I'm definitely one of the outliers in terms of almost no comprehension, very little... Okay, but you know what? You don't have to worry about that at all. You don't have to worry about that at all because this plan, uh, I told you, works for everybody. Okay? So if it works for everybody. That means it takes every single type of person into consideration, you know, uh, when it's, it's being done, as you will see. It's hard to believe it and it's hard to... But in these classes that have been done through years and learning with individuals one-on-one, I told you, it's a spectrum that's from there to there and everybody in the middle. Okay, and it's just the same plan by every single person. All right, so it, it you know the the only way is you have to taste it and see, but uh, but it works. That I can tell you, it works amazingly well. Okay, um, okay. So uh, there were two other people on Sunday this past Sunday that we did the same thing. We had the same introduction, and uh, the reason really the, uh, the 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 class is supposed to be on Sunday morning. At 9:30 here, I think in the other base manager, the small base manager over there. So um, uh, they heard this already. So that's why we did it this week. Uh, you know now. So now everybody has heard it. There might be a few other people that want to join. That, uh, that so I recorded it. Usually it goes up online, also on a website, so you can listen over to it or somebody can get it from there. Um, but uh, basically, we want to get started on Sunday, this Sunday at 9:30. Uh, and the Masechta that we're going to be learning in Shem is Bob Metzia, second parak, El Metzias. The reason we're choosing that is because when boys start to learn Gemara and Yeshiva, they start with this Gemara. I don't know why, and I don't know who started it, but if that's the way it's done worldwide throughout the years, there's got to be a reason for it, okay? And it, I, it, I find that people have a lot of success when they begin with Bob Metzia, okay? Very, very lending to skills building in a very good way. So uh, we're going to begin with that, and Mitzvah Shem. Okay. So any any questions or concerns or whatever you want to talk to me privately or whatever is that's fine. And uh, but uh, we'd like to get started on Sunday, Mitzvah Shem. Okay. Now I just want to mention also there is a a, a cost. It's it's eighty five dollars per class total which means if there's 10 people, you divide it amongst 10 people. I don't gain or lose, but that's just the amount per class. So uh, however many people come, it's just divided up amongst the people. Okay. And um, 
we can discuss how that's done and, and how we work that out and everything like that. Or if there's a problem with it, you can let me know. Okay? All right. Thank you. Okay, good.